Welcome to Navigating Education, the podcast. I'm Dr. Matt Rhodes, and I'm your host. We're beginning a new bonus episode series relating to my upcoming book release of Navigating the Toggle Term, a guide for K-12 classroom and school leaders. The goal of these bonus episodes is to highlight contributing authors and their stories uh, relating to how are they navigating education right now and in the future. And today we have Mark Urell, who is a teacher from Michigan, and he's been teaching for about 17 years, and he's taught social studies and Spanish, and he has his master's in educational leadership and was awarded in 2017 uh, the Grand Valley State University's Charter School Office's Most Outstanding Teacher of the Year. He attributes his success in education to his amazing teammates, administrators, and wife who have provided him support and guidance throughout the years. And our topic today is project-based learning and navigating multiple classroom settings. Thanks for being here, Mark. Oh, it's a pleasure. Glad to help out. So what is your uh, context in education? I know I alluded it to in a minute that you teach secondary, but um, tell us what are you currently teaching? And then uh, talk to us a little bit about um, how did you get there in your career? All right, so I'm currently a middle school social studies teacher uh, at a, a one of the uh, better districts in our state, um, in the Metro Detroit area. Um, but I've had a very unique career as I've uh, taught in many different types of settings. So like I, I started out as a Catholic school teacher teaching middle school social studies uh, in Indiana. And then I taught in a very rural school teaching Spanish. And then um, for uh, 15 years, I taught in a charter school in different settings where uh, Title I school and then a more affluent uh, community. And then uh, just this past uh, February, I, like I said, I started my current job. Awesome. Yeah. So you've been through a lot of different types of schools. You've seen a lot um, in Michigan. You've been rural, uh, rural, urban, and I think suburb. You've seen those various types of settings and the various types of students that go there. And I want to talk now about the past 15 months, because I know out of most educators I've talked to, I feel like you're the educator that has toggled between the most uh, classroom settings, whether it's been online, in a blended setting, concurrent. I mean, I feel like you've been, you've toggled at least like three, four, five, six times. I don't know how many times, but just the perception was is that you've moved the most. And uh, can you just tell us about uh, your experience and what was successful for you during um, these time navigating these various settings? Because I truly believe that in the United States, I think that we're going to be okay for the most part. I mean, I think that we will have definitely times where we will have to switch. And I think that whether it's a COVID outbreak or a snow day, or in some places could be a natural disaster, God forbid. Um, I think that we'll be able to move back and forth between various settings and the rest of the world is um, unfortunately going to be uh, quite some time behind us. So I think just hearing from people that have been through it, it's going to help educators and school leaders throughout not only uh, the United States, but the rest of the world just navigate this new reality that we're in. So yeah, it seemed like at the beginning of the year, it seemed like every uh, two weeks I was switching to something new. Um, so when I worked, I started out as uh, at a charter school at the beginning of the school year. 
And their original plan was to have a separate virtual school and an in-person school. But what happened is there were so many people that signed up for uh, virtual learning so much that they just decided they're going to make us do both. Um, so at the beginning of the year, I was doing hybrid and virtual, and I was teaching about 18 different groups. And then about two months in, into the year, uh, they wanted to welcome everybody back and give them that choice. Um, so they had us do live streaming and uh, live streaming. It's, it's fun because, but it is rather difficult. And uh, I don't suggest it for many teachers because you have to sit in front of the TV, uh, in front of the computer screen and teach. And uh, it's not the most ideal uh, way to lose weight if you're on a diet because you're, you're just sitting in one spot. Um, so, you know, just, just trying to learn how I can teach in both mediums at the same time. Um, but the great thing is that uh, the, the students were just amazing. Um, I didn't have to deal with too many discipline problems. Um, and then about two months into that, we went virtual. <laughs> um, the numbers were rising in Michigan. So we just went all virtual. Um, and the charter school I was at um, did an amazing job of helping us with the transition. They had everything set up for us to be successful. Then I came back, back to the live streaming. And then I decided to get a new job, <laughs> which just threw a wrench into everything. Uh, and then with the new job, I was back to a different type of virtual where I was seeing the students every other day, as opposed to most hybrid where you see students two days on and then one day off for cleaning, then another two days. So, um, yeah, so there, there were lots of changes, but I, I think uh, what helped me, obviously, you know, I had, you know, strong support system. I mean, I mean I'm married to a teacher, so we can always uh, discuss um, strategies. Um, but I think uh, in the summertime, I participated in a lot uh, in those Twitter chats, and I got to reach out to a lot of different educators and got to listen to their strategies and their ideas. Um, I spent a lot of time preparing in the summer, reading books like yours, which helped out tremendously. Um, and then just reading uh, different tech blogs, getting different ideas with technology. Um, and then a lot of it's just being patient, to be honest. Um, knowing that you're going to go into some organized chaos, knowing that, you know, not everything is going to go well and that is okay. And a lot of teachers, we're overachievers, you know, in school, we're overachievers. And part of the reason why we became, why we became teachers, because we love school so much, but that overachiever in us sometimes uh, kind of holds us back from being successful. And, um, sometimes when you're dealing with this toggling, um, you have to understand that not everything is going to go right and it is okay. And the more patient, more relaxed you are, the more relaxed that your students are going to be because this is all new to them also. Um, so, you know, my, my best advice for teachers when they're, you know, toggling from different uh, scenarios is just, you know, prepare yourself, get to learn some tech tools that you can use and lean on teammates and be patient. Definitely. And I, and I think that, uh, I mean, you did such a great job at just being able to just navigate it all. I think you were you were patient. You talked a lot in the Twitter chats about just various strategies with your project-based learning, which I'm going to talk about in a minute because I'm really curious about how how did you maintain that that uh, instructional instru instructional like sequence of making sure that those projects stayed in place while you were moving between all these different settings and um, so. My question is to you, how did you do it? How did you, uh, well, first talk a little bit for our audience so that if they don't know what project-based learning is. And then secondly, talk to us a little bit about how did you maintain 
that instructional framework throughout the school year. Okay, so like project-based learning to me is just allowing the students to provide evidence of their learning through creating something as opposed to just giving a test or giving a worksheet where they're just constantly answering questions. Um, it just it allows you to better connect with your learners and you get to learn so much from them from what they create. I don't know, you know, when, when I went to school, it was for history class, it was listen to the teacher, lecture, she put an outline on the board, we copy the notes, she give us the worksheet, we found the big highlighted yellow word in the textbook, we wrote it down, we memorized them, and then we just spit it on the test. Where like project-based learning, you tell students, you know, you allow, you allow students to be creative, but you say, hey, I want you to show your learning by creating this. And you leave it very open-ended. Um, what I found is it wasn't that difficult of a transition to um, online learning um, because with project-based learning, a lot of students, they're doing asynchronous work, okay? When, when I heard a lot of teachers, when they did asynchronous work at first, it was like, all right, we're going to get all these packets. Uh, at first it was, all right, print off all these packets and then we'll hand them out at the school. Or it's like, all right, we'll find uh, some worksheets online or PDFs online. Uh, but what's great about project-based learning is you provide a structure on what you want the students to create and you allow them the freedom to figure out how they're going to create it. Um, and so even in normal times, my students are uh, learning independently for about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, you know, they're doing their own research, they're pacing, you know, they're creating their own pacing. And what I do is I, instead of acting like a teacher who talks all hour, I'm more of like a guide mm -hmm. or a mentor where I'm checking in with them and looking where they're at and constantly asking them like, hey, do you need help? Where are you at? You know, what struggles are you having? Um, so if someone is interested in doing project-based learning, if they're in the virtual setting, I would totally uh, recommend it just because it's a different way of providing asynchronous work. No, totally. And I, and I know that um, you use a variety of different, I mean, you use Wakelet, um, you probably had your students create some YouTube videos, um, you had them just create something that that they had that open-endedness to it. I'm sure you kind of scaffold them to that piece. I'm sure you gave them the, a lot of directions and procedures to follow. And then maybe for some projects you didn't, maybe different times throughout the school year, you kept it, there was less structure. So um, I think that that's really powerful. And I think that it's someone right now that um, I'm thinking about my own instruction. I'm thinking about a lot of project-based learning in the future, um, but I'm still trying to figure out in terms of the implementation piece of, you know, how much structure do I need versus how little structure do I need? So um, I appreciate you provide that insight because that definitely helps me thinking about you know, if we're doing it asynchronously or just independently in person, I think that that can really help students. Um, so let's talk really quickly um, before we finish our conversation is that what are a few of your two best practices slash tips you recommend classroom and school leaders to implement project-based learning in their classroom? Well, you know, like you're talking about is that balance of, um, autonomy and structures, how, how much structure do you put in place? And that was something that I struggled with when I first started doing project-based learning. I, I would say, all right, here's our project, here's your deadline, get to it and I'll help you along the way. 
But what I found is if you chunk the assignment, it helps out a lot of students, especially those students who struggle. Because if you give a project to many students, uh, especially the ones who are struggling, they get overwhelmed. Like, oh, wait a minute, I have to create this web page or I have to make this five minute video. And all of a sudden they get lost and they give up. And so what I found is if you chunk the assignments and you, you give them certain what I call soft deadlines to meet. So if you don't know, soft deadline is you give them a due date, but if they don't meet it, that's okay. Okay. Um, so what I do is when I provide an example of a project, I give them what I want to accomplish each week. And so for the first week, I say, all right, I want, here's an outline that I want you to fill out for your organization. I want you to be done with your research in the first week. Um, and then I provide them websites of, uh, especially during the pandemic, I provide them reading on Wakelet or videos that will help them out. And I strongly suggest providing videos because we have a diverse, uh, diversity of learners. Not every student learns well from reading. A lot of students learn well from watching videos and that's okay. So like I said, the first week, organize all your information. Read, you know, Do all your research, organize your information. And then the second week I have the students, I'm like, all right, now I want you to start coming up with a plan of what you're gonna create, okay? And I wanna see that plan and then we'll talk about it and if it's gonna work or not. And then the third week, that's where they create everything. Okay, um, I've had students, like I said, I've had students create websites, they've created Prezi's. Um, my current project that I'm having them, I'm just giving them the freedom to create whatever they want. Um, I have students um, making um, drawings about Ab Abraham Lincoln. I have others that are making movie trailers. Um, a lot of students, they wanna stick to slideshows. So they're um, doing a screencastify because that's kind of like their safety valve. That's something that they know. Um, so the third week is all about creating the product. And then the fourth week, and I find this to be very important, is the students are done, but they do what we call peer feedback. And so I dedicate a class in which students, they go from, they, I want them to meet with at least three other classmates and I provide them a feedback sheet and they give each other feedback on the project. And I think this is very valuable because whenever you create something, whenever you make something, you want multiple eyes on it. And I always tell the students, you know, your, peer, your peers' feedback is just as valuable as mine, okay? Plus it allows them to get graded before I look at it, okay? Um, and as always, you know, one th another thing is always to provide one-on-one -on -one conferencing time. At least try to meet with each student once a week so you can see where they're at and you can see their struggles and help them overcome. Awesome, yeah, those are amazing tips, I mean, I, I love how you just break it down week by week and you provide that last week for that peer feedback piece. And I'm, and I'm sure that, you know, from the first project you do at the beginning of the year to the very end of the year, there's such a, I mean, I feel like the students are at that point, understand the routines, they understand um, what the expectations are and they understand the structure. So I'm sure that over time, it, it, it's just become second nature to them. And um, I really feel that you provide that structure, but, and you also provide that choice. So I think that that's two of the most important things when we're talking about inquiry-based learning. And I think many argue there could be whether something is too open-ended or too structured, but I think the way that you describe it is a way that it's structured, but at the same time, it, it gives students options for that creativity. Exactly. Yeah. So 
thank you everyone for listening to this bonus episode. Uh, this is going to be one of several episodes that will be released in July of 2021 with the release of the book, Navigating the Toggle Term, A Guide for K-12 Classroom and School Leaders, which releases July 20th. Thank you, everyone. And I hope that you listen to all of these episodes as they release this summer. Thank you.